Good morning, church. Man, I love saying that. And I love hearing you say good morning back. Um, I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you can, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We'll be jumping there in a few moments. As this year comes to an end, I know there's some uh, cash that some of you need to put someplace. Um, and we've got a couple of great missions that we're a part of in our church that have asked me to speak a word on their behalf. And uh, I just want to do that. One in particular is our mission in Bazua, Ghana. Uh, the school there is in desperate need of some things, and those have been posted in our KCC notes. And uh, I think a, a truck is one of them. They're, uh, they're one of the model schools for the entire nation, and uh, they want to stay that way. And so they're putting together a, a computer module, and uh, it's a classroom full of computers for their kids. And so we want to be a part of that. Uh, but also, I wanted to say something on behalf of a ministry that's really close to Joe Snyder. Um, he has a direct contact in Miramar. Uh, and they had need a couple of things that uh, will help their ministry in the upcoming new year. Uh, a lot of things are, uh, it's not just that unrest is here in our, our, our nation, but there's unrest all over the globe, and these folks are just struggling to eat. Uh, but they're also struggling to get the word out, uh, the bread of life for those who have not had any of it. And uh, Joe's got a heart for that, and uh, I wanted to, on, just on my own personal behalf, uh, to share that with you. And if you're not aware of those needs, then uh, talk to Joe and Jerry, and they'll be glad to, um, uh, to share them with you. Before we get launched, let's bow in a word of prayer. Oh, Father, you are so worthy of praise. And we come to you this morning uh, with a thousand different dispositions, circumstances going on in our lives, attitudes, um, mindsets, but we come this morning trying to gather all that together and to focus it all on you. You've invited us to come in our time of need, and so we do, many of us. Some of us come because our cup runneth over today. And you've invited us to come and share that. Uh, you've encouraged us to sing about that. And, uh, Father, we come this morning in prayer, not just, not just us, but we realize that there are disciples all over this town who are meeting in the name of Jesus Christ, but in particular, uh, we want to lift up this morning Calvary Temple uh, and ask for you to please uh, bless them as they, uh, they gather to worship and break bread and to acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Fathers, the world over celebrates joy today. Uh, we ask you to be uh, our joy, and we ask you to come and fill us with your joy. Not just happiness, but something deeper than that, something wider than that, but true joy that enables us to keep our eyes focused on you, smiles on our faces, hope in our hearts. Uh, we know that can only happen because of your presence there. For we ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said. On Sunday, November 29th, uh, we received a call. Uh, it was a call from our youngest, Tabitha, and it would be a call that would change our lives dramatically for a short period of time. She had lost her sense of taste. She was achy. She had broken out in hives and was severely fatigued. And the next day, she tested positive for COVID. As many of you know, she hosted us for Thanksgiving in her home two days earlier. And so the exposure for all of us that were there was very, very real. And immediately, that meant eight of us were quarantined for no less than seven days. Both of my son-in-law serve in the medical field and were put out of commission for that time. My oldest daughter 
serves as a teacher in the Fort Worth School District, and she was also put out of commission. <laughs> Your preacher started showing some early signs and symptoms of COVID, and so he was put out of commission for a while. It was really a mess in so many ways, but thankfully, Tabitha was the only one who tested positive for the virus. All of us others tested negative. But it reminded me, certain calls change your life in a drastic way. You've received some of those calls. Calls of a lab result in regards to cancer. Uh, Calls pertaining to a car accident that one of your kids suffered. A call pertaining to a scholarship that had been awarded or a job that had been offered or a call. Mom, he asked me to marry him. All of us are going to receive calls in this world that are dramatically going to impact our lives sooner or later. And several of those calls, listen to me, are going to come from God. We're involved in a series where we've seen from Scripture that God makes calls on all of our lives. And one of those calls that he makes, listen to me, to all of us, is to salvation. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be a part of his family forever. Another call is to transformation. Not just to become a part of his family or to be cleaned up by him, but but to be part of of a, a fully functional, fully glorified member of his family. And he'll do that. Still yet another call is to mission, to come alongside him, to rescue others, to also hear the call to be saved like we've heard. God's calling us. I just want to remind you that. God's calling you, friend. And for one shared reason, because you matter. You matter. You make a difference in this world. And believe it or not, God wants to make a difference in it through you. And so he's got a mission for you. And in significant ways, he's going to prepare you for that mission. But one of them is, that I want to underscore this morning, is through worship. Maybe you haven't thought about that in a while. I hadn't, certainly, as I got ready for this series a couple of months back. But one of the ways that he transforms us, like he promised that he would, is through worship. Not by handing you a new set of rules to obey. By giving you a new focus to tune into. Don't take my word for it, take God's. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that I pointed you to a few moments ago says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can I hear amen for freedom? And we all, because of that freedom, with unveiled face, no more covering, no more hiding, just full transparency, are beholding the glory of the Lord. And we're being changed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Back in college, that verse rocked my world. And it forever changed my view of worship and what these times for us can be. Because who you behold is who you become. It has a great deal with what you become. Who you behold or what you behold has a great deal with what you become. What you fix your eyes on, what you tune into, what you worship is going to govern what you become, which is Why one of our core values here at KCC is that we ask everyone who says, we'd like to be a member here. I said, all right. One of the things that we encourage you to in a a very insisting way is that you be here on Sunday morning with us. That you bring your worship that you've been enjoying during the week here because God promises something happens 
in a phenomenal way, wherever two or more are gathered in his name. He said, I'm there with you. Well, I thought he was with me through the Spirit all the time. Yeah, but something unique happens when we gather that worship together and come to this place. And so we make it one of our values. And in a moment, you're going to be given a chance to share in more of what we just got a taste of a few moments ago. I know some of you were thinking, he's going to put the preacher up there now? We're just getting started. Oh, wait till a moment. It's going to be good. Worshiping God is simply this to me. It's a grateful response to who God is and all that God has done. Now, that's the best and simplest definition I've come up with so far in my life. It's a grateful response to all that God is and all that God has done. People make a grateful response to all sort of things. The reason I can say that is I get the grateful response to Cal Ripken. He broke Lou Gehrig's streak of consecutive baseball games played, which stood at one time at 2,130 games. When the Ironman's record was broken by Cal Ripken at Camden Yards in Baltimore, the crowd that day gave Cal a standing ovation, listen to me, for 21 minutes. And it could have been longer, but his buddies shoved him out of the dugout after 30 dugout calls. And he began running around the field, slapping every hand that was placed in front of him, Cal said, or at least trying to. And I want you to know, I get that grateful response. 17 seasons, 17 years, and the guy never missed a single inning. And I think that's worthy of applause. I think that's worthy of a grateful response. Now the next one, I'm not so sure about, but it's still interesting to note. On June 30th, 1991, a Spanish tenor by the name of Placidio Domingo performed an opera called Othello. Now, I'm guessing most of you probably don't know that fact, right? Well, it must have been the performance for generations because his 101 curtain calls lasted 80 minutes Can you imagine standing and applauding for nearly an hour and a half for anything? Okay, Dunnigan's brisket, maybe. But an opera? I don't get that. Cal Ripken comes a little bit closer. That's 17 seasons. Placidio's fans did, though. And I get that. But as compelled as I am to applaud for athletes at times, and musicians at times, and singers at times, Church, I am far more moved to applaud the God who created every single one of them. (laughs) There we go. And that wasn't rehearsed, was it? No. That's the one that we need to give a grateful response to. That's the one that we need to applaud. And one of the ways that God says he loves to have that type of applause, yes, is sometimes with hands, but mostly with our voice. Hundreds of times he says, I want to tell you the stuff that I love. I love it when you sing to me. I love it when you worship me. In Psalms chapter 100, verses 1 through 2, he says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful what? Songs. Next. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, Paul says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Keep going. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Then he says in Psalms 150, 
Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him for the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. He must really like cymbals because he repeats it. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, he says. I don't know how you hear that. But I hear it. God likes this praise stuff. He really does. And because he likes it, I want to offer it to him. He enjoys for us to behold him that way. And I don't know about you, but music is just a wonder to me. God has given us something when he gave us that image of his within every single one of us, this creative ability to somehow or another make music, to make melody. Not all the same way, not all with the same quality, but he's given us something inside us to be able to applaud him with, to be able to resoundingly say, I'm thankful to you for. Music is just a mystery to me. I don't know how to describe it any other way than sometimes transcendent, sometimes transformative, sometimes just, I don't know, just fills you with joy. Sometimes it, it just connects you with things of the past. Music does something. Singing does something that nothing else does. Some of you may remember the name of this guy that's on the screen, Bobby McFerrin. In 1980, he wrote a little song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Now, I'm not going to sing it because it'll be stuck in my head for the rest of the week. There's something about that tune that just stays with you if you start singing it. Well, you may not know this about Bobby. He's considered to be, by many, an absolute musical genius. Several years ago, he was asked to speak at a symposium on neurology. Yeah, you heard me. Neurology. And he demonstrated here how the human brain is hardwired for music. That music really is in us. And he used the pentatonic scale to illustrate that. And you may have seen this short video before, but I'm going to show it one more time this morning and let you be mesmerized by it again, or maybe for the first time. Let's watch. Talking about expectations. Expectations. Bye. 
Regardless of where I am, anywhere, every audience gets that. Okay. That's good. And they do. And I think Bobby could probably take that little demonstration to Kerrville, to New York City, to Bazuagana, and the result would be the same because music is in us. But here's the other part of that truth it was never meant to remain in us. It wasn't. So, so when it comes out of us, the scripture wants to show you, especially those of you who are filled with this light of Christ, when, when that, that, that music comes out to the world, it changes the world. Early on in God's relationship with his people, he wanted to make a point of the significance of praise. Especially the place singing has in our lives to defeat the darkness that invariably makes its way into those lives. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, you remember this story. The word comes to the king of Israel that a colossal army is coming from Edom. And the king called the people together to fast and to pray about what to do. And through one of God's prophets, he spoke, You will not have to fight this battle, says the Lord. Take up your positions and stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You go out to face him tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Well, in the morning, the people gathered together in the place of the Lord that he had commanded. And again, the prophet Jehazel says this. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As soon as they started shouting and praising, God set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir as they were attacking Judah, and they all ended up dead. The Ammonites and Moabites mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. And then, further confused, they went on and killed each other. Wow! (laughs) And they put the choir at the back of the bus. They put them in front of the bus. And because of that, this tremendous victory took place. I wondered the next time they had choir practice at the synagogue if maybe attendance was up. You think? God's making a huge point that humans are the means through which He brings His victory. The victory may belong to Him, but humans and their voices have a role to play in bringing victory into this world. Now that takes place early on in the story of God. But it's no wonder that at the end of the story of God, the book of Revelation, God reveals praise has a huge place in that victory, in the ultimate victory over God's ultimate enemy, Satan. I don't think it's any accident when you turn to Revelation chapter 19 that the rider of the white horse, Jesus himself, comes to destroy the great dragon, Satan, because of the praises that are at the first part of 19. That victory happens at the end of 19. Four times in this great chapter, 
John hears those gathered around the throne singing, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. Amen and Hallelujah. He hears them singing, Hallelujah, praise God. All you His servants who fear Him, both great and small. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him victory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Those are the songs that are the part of of Revelation 19, the beginning. What's the result of all that? I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. And his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Okay, that's who he is, but what happens when he shows up? The beast is captured with its false prophets who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of that rider on the white horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That's why we had to ask the kids to leave because of that last line. Revelations 19 just jumped off the page at me this last week. What happened there at the end of 19 is is precluded, but also connected to what happened at the beginning of Revelations 19. One of the ways that we wage war against Satan, Jesus makes clear here, is with the weapon, hear me, of worship. So I challenge you. This week when you're facing a sinful choice, I know maybe you've been taught to pray, and that's a good thing, but I want to encourage you, praise, and see what happens next. If the prayer thing hasn't been working, I want to encourage you when you're facing that temptation or when you're facing that moment when you're looking into the abyss of depression one more time, praise. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And heavenly armor will enter the land. The battle belongs to something. Have you a go-to song? Prayer's powerful. Uh, The scripture underscores that. But connect that with praise? Wow, look out, Satan. The next time you're involved in an argument with with your spouse, and instead of slamming the door or raising your voice, what if you broke out with, I will call upon the Lord. I would change the atmosphere a little bit. Do you think it might change how the argument went a little bit? I'm just encouraging you from what we're hearing here. This stuff matters when the darkness is in our face and threatening us and trying to pull us into its abyss. I don't think it's just gimmicky. I think it's a game plan. God calls us to worship him. And it's a call that I want to encourage as a brother to answer. Someone who can teach us about this is a man by the name of Frederick Handel. You'll recognize his name as a famous composer, but early on in his life, he was an absolute failure. He was bankrupt. Couldn't get anybody interested in his music, let alone pay to hear it. But during that season of his life, somebody introduced him to Jesus. And he had an epiphany. A moment where his head and his heart opened wide and he was overwhelmed by God's love. And what Jesus had done in rescuing him from the sins in his life. 
He sat down and began to compose a song that we know today as the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now you're going to hear some people sing that well in a moment, but that's a little bit of what the song is about. And he wanted this song to capture the wonder and the majesty of the grace that God had poured out in him and on him. Not just for himself, but all of mankind. He wanted to replicate the angels singing praises when the sun came. Especially to his friends that didn't know God. And so interestingly enough, Handel wrote the song, but he didn't debut it in a church. Where I think a lot in our culture would say that's where it belongs. No, he debuted it in a theater and invited the city to come and to hear his new song. <clears throat> the first night, 700 people showed up. And one of them was the king. King George. He sat on the very front row, and when he heard the song, and it came to its famous chorus that I shared a few moments ago, Hallelujah. He couldn't stay in his seat. He didn't know what to say. He didn't really know what to do, so he just stood. And so did the rest. When the king stands, everybody stands, right? And so all throughout the rest of Handel's Messiah, people just stood. And it's not because they had to. They didn't, they didn't really want to sit down. Later, the king was asked, what caused that response in you? And he said, you know, even a king needs to stand in the presence of God. I love what Handel did with the money that he made from these concerts. Thirty straight nights, they were sold out. He took the money and he bought legal representation for 140 people who were in debtor's prison. Paid off all their debts. And he set them all free. Because Jesus had set him free. You know, the older I get and the closer that I get to Jesus, the more I understand stuff like that. That hallelujah has that kind of impact on the world. So will you allow me to draw three simple lessons and then we'll be done this morning and we'll get on to some worship together. First is this, that worship elevates us into the presence of God. That's why it's so significant. Long ago, the ancients believed that there was this door that separated the heavens from the earth and that if you wanted access to God, you had to move through that door. Or if he wanted access to us, he had to move through it as well. That's why Jesus said in John 1.51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, someone who in particular got to see that firsthand was John because in the book of Revelation, which John wrote, he tells of being pulled up literally into the heavenly realm. Why? Well, for very, very practical reasons, not just so that he could have uh, some words to put in the Bible. But John was, his life was a train wreck. He had been sentenced by the emperor Domitian to the island of Patmos because of his insurrection activities in starting these house churches. Domitian, while he was back on the mainland, was persecuting that church, torturing people, putting them to death, trying to employ anything he could to stomp out this new Christian movement. Jesus pulls John up because he wants him to know what's happening in your life on earth is not reflective of what's going on in the heavens. Earth does not negatively impact heaven. No, heaven positively impacts what takes place here. What's above impacts what's below. 
which made me think of the whales. You know the whales and how they live. Most of their life is lived underwater, almost 95% of it. But the other 5%, they have to come up to the top to take a breath so they can live down below in the ocean depths. And I thought, that's what we do on Sundays. When we come together, it's like, okay, we've been in the, in the depths during the week, but when we come here to this place, we get a chance to... As Johnny Diaz would say, you see, I, this breath isn't enough for me. I'm, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love what we do here, and it's powerful in my life. I don't want to live a week without it. But it didn't take me seven days. i got to have those times on my own when, when just God and I and, and just the trees or just some, some place where, where I can just shout and sing and not be embarrassed that anybody's seen me shout and sing. Where I can just worship with total abandon. I need those days as well. Johnny Diaz says, it's those moments to just breathe. To come and rest at my feet. And be. Just be. Chaos calls, but all you really need is to just breathe. I think that's what worship is part. Is in part. Number two, worship focuses on the power of God. Worship focuses on power. Forty-six times, don't miss this. Forty-six times in the book of Revelation, the word throne is used. It's the centerpiece of heaven, John tells us. And a significant aspect of what surrounds that throne, listen to me, is the lack of chaos. When you're present there in the throne room of God, God leaves you speechless and fearless. He leaves you with a sense of wonder, not worry. And I wonder, who doesn't want that? Ask John. He's grasping for words, trying his best to describe all that he's seeing and hearing. And in his emotions and with his five senses, he's doing his best not to be overwhelmed that he can't write or remember. But he is in the presence, hear me now, of genuine, amazing, unprecedented power. Power. And tied to that presence of power is singing. (laughs) It's singing. In World War II, Benito Mussolini, the dictator of Italy, rose to such power by controlling the authority of the church first. Second, he confiscated private property. And then he promised the masses, to, if you'll put your trust in the government, we'll take care of you. We'll meet all your needs. And then he went and partnered with Hitler to take over Europe and the rest of the world. Someone asked him once, how did you arrive at such power? And Mussolini said, I saw an empty throne, and I sat on it. You know the outcome. You've studied the history books. The U.S. and its allies defeated Mussolini and Hitler and helped liberate Italy and the rest of Europe. But what I want to underscore this morning is how they did it. Not just with bullets. Not just with bombs. Did you know that the U.S. Army had a standing contract with Steinway and Sons? You probably won't hear about that in school, but Steinway is a piano maker back in the day. I don't know if they still are now, but I know back in the day they were. The army asked Steinway and Sons to build an indestructible piano. And so they went to work and they created what was eventually called Victory Verticals. Don't you love that? Pianos that were upright. And the U.S. Air Force took those Victory Verticals and they attached parachutes to them and dropped them behind enemy lines. 2,500 of them. Because our militaries recognize that music 
Even our military leaders realized music was critical to the morale of their soldiers. Well, we know this because music is critical to the morale of these soldiers, isn't it? Now, on Sunday, we make our music with our voices. But we need music to fight back to despair. We need music to fight back to discouragement. We need music to fight back death. We need music to fill our courage tanks and our faith tanks and our joy tanks, whether it's instrumental, whether it's voice. We need it because music is in us, but it was never meant to stay there. And if you read God's book at all, you realize that music isn't just a luxury. It's a weapon. One last illustration, we're done. Paul and Silas... They're arrested because they're, they're sharing this faith again, this, this call to believe that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God, that, that when he died, he died for our sins, and that when God raised him, he raised us to give us a hope of resurrection forever. And they're teaching this all over the place, and they get thrown in jail for it, and people are tired of it now, and so they're, they're going to put him to death the next day. The next day, it's midnight, and we read this, Paul and Silas are praying and what? Singing. <laughs> Is that what you'd be doing on, on, in your last hours on earth after you've been sentenced to death? Would you be praying and singing hymns to God? Well, God was listening, but so were the other prisoners. Jimmy, why were they singing? I don't know for sure. But maybe they knew their Bible. Maybe they remembered what happened. Whenever they were, uh, another group of people were faced with another series of people coming at them with dark forces that were about to take their lives and remember Jehoshaphat and what they did, they sang. Maybe it just didn't matter how, what was going to go on here on this earth. They wanted to get to heaven as soon as possible. And they were singing, okay, I'm flying away in the morning. Praise God. I don't know. But part of the point of this passage, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New, is there's power in praise. Because what happens next? Let's read. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's fetters fell. But these two guys are so full of faith and courage, they don't run. They just simply talk to this Philippian jailer about why they're not. And before the night's over, both him and his entire family are new believers. Boom! <laughs> How about that for a bomb? You talk about grace bombs and all brought on because of praise. Church, we need music. We need song. We need to remember that, especially in these crazy, crazy times. And I, I just want to remind you, as we move into this time of worship, we don't have a God who's up there wringing his hands wondering, how in the world are we going to get this pandemic wrapped up? We don't. He's not worried about how this election's going to play out. Hadn't that been crazy? He's not worried about what's going to happen in the stock market. He's not worried about cancer. He's not worried about anything. And he's asking us to return his call to worship. To get our eyes off of this stuff for a moment. And to get our eyes fixed on him. Because when we do, remember the song? The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Whether you recognize it or not, you're going to breathe 23,000 breaths today. 
And you're going to fill your lungs with oxygen and the carbon monoxide is going to be exchanged and it's going to leave with physiological precision. And so I think it makes sense for us to take a few moments and use those breaths to worship God. What do you say? If we don't, creation's going to go on without us. <laughs> Frederick Bigner said, the whole of creation's in on this. The sun and the moon, the sea and the fire, the snow, Holstein cows, white-throated sparrows, old men and walkers, children who've not even said their first word, let alone taken their first step. They're praising him. The praise is not chiefly a matter of saying anything because most of creation doesn't deal in words. Instead, the snow whirls and the fire roars and the Holstein bellows and the old man watches the moon rise. Their praise is not something that they're most complimentary at when they say something. But something that at the truest that they are. That they just are. I want to get to that place. Well, that's just who I am. Because the last thing I want in the world is for some heron or some Holstein to outpraise me. How about you? Worship unites us around the provision of God. That's the last point. Jesus had to be looking at some sparrows one day. And I'm thinking his guys that are with him are a little bit worried about what was going on or what was about to happen. And he said, you know, guys, the Lord takes care of those birds. Don't you think he'll take care of you? And maybe there were some flowers close by. And he says, you know, those flowers over there, they don't fuss and worry about what to wear. And yet their clothes are so much better than any King Solomon ever had in his wardrobe. God takes care of them. Don't you think he can take care of you? Some days I don't. I don't know how I forget that. How I get lost in some of the darkness and some of the the stress and the discouragement of this world. But I got to tell you this. I was getting lost in it this morning. I was. And I just kept hearing from the evil one, you're not ready to preach this sermon? Isn't this great? One of your last messages of the church, and it's going to be this pitiful. And so you know what I did? I sang. <laughs> I sang. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. And it helped. And I'm at the end of the message, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. It's not a gimmick. It's our game plan. So what do you say we get after it? Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we've come to, yes, study a little bit about worship. We've come to worship. We've come to lift our voices in praise and to sing with all the quality it would have, but more than that, with the quantity of air that you've put in our lungs. And I thank you, Father, for the people who've come to lead us. (laughs) Thank you for their hard hours of working, organizing, practicing, well, Father, we're not as organized, we're not as practiced, but we've come this morning with hearts full because we just want to say thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're going to do, but more than anything else, for just who you are. Please, God, receive this worship with the smile on the face that we offer it with. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said.